0: All right. Well, good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good morning. morning. As you may have noticed, I am not Matt Darby. I'm his much more handsome counterpart. My name is once again Ben Lofton. I serve as the adult groups minister here on this campus, and I'm excited that I get to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, First off, let me thank, uh, they're not here, but I'm going to thank them anyway, Pastor Matt and Pastor Todd for giving me the opportunity to share with y'all this morning. It's always an exciting thing for me to get to do this, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. I hope all of y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving, have lots of food. My wife had a good one. She's the only one that clapped. The rest of y'all, I don't know what y'all were doing. It's fine. Um, You had lots of food, just the right amount of family, right? Not too much, maybe, not too little. And maybe a little bit of football. This is what the Lofton family Thanksgiving looks like. And uh, I hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Um, when, when I learned that I was on the schedule to preach uh, uh, today, I began to think and pray through what God would have me uh, uh, share with y'all. And um, you may not know this, but the, the, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. And when we're not in a sermon series, they say, Ben, you just get to pick whatever you want. And it can be a little daunting to to try and figure out where you want to land in that and where God has for you. And as I began to, as I thought and prayed through it, uh, I was reminded, not that you couldn't be, but I was reminded by everything that's going on in our world today, whether it's COVID-19, my family and I experienced that very personally over the last few weeks. Uh, maybe we, it's... Um, Political upheaval with elections and all this went on with that. Maybe it's racial tensions that we see on the news every day. These are just a few of the things that are going on in our world today. And really, what, as I thought through it, what it served to remind me was just of the, the fragile nature of humans just the weaknesses that exist in our human condition. And and despite all of the weakness, this is what I know of me and may may be true of you. um, I'm going to attempt to portray strength regardless of what weakness there is, right? I'm going to put out this good face. I'm going to put it forward. I operate many times under the fake it till you make it system of living my life. I'm going to act as if, regardless of what everything around me may tell me. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong, I don't think that necessarily portraying strength is a bad thing all the time. I think depending on what your strength is rooted in and how it expresses itself in your life, this can be a good and healthy and right thing. The problem is that for many of us, many times, the facade of strength is, uh, comes from a place of misunderstanding. It's misplaced and ultimately it's harmful to us in more than one way. Uh, I have four beautiful children, three sons one daughter. My oldest son, Taylor, will be 24 this month. And uh, as I got to think about strength and weakness, I started to think a little bit about my life with them. You know, as boys, we like to wrestle a lot. We like to mix it up and get on the ground and kind of tied up. Nothing serious, right? We're not trying to hurt each other, but especially when they're little, uh, it's a lot of fun for me because they get to strain uh, really hard to try and pin dad, and I get to ha, 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 and act like I'm the strongest person on planet earth, which is what I did with Taylor. It's what happened. He never pinned me. I want to say that up front. Never happened. Not once. But as he got older, so did I. (laughs) And what's weird is, and some of you may know this, my lower back got older at a much more rapid rate than the rest of my body. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. And I remember the very last time that we wrestled because my body began to tell me that the, the prospect of wrestling with my son got less and less appetizing the older I got. He was probably about 19 years old. He had graduated from high school. He was in college, and he had begun to work out very into fitness, and he got to be a big guy, and uh, he decided he wanted to, me- we started messing around, and I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to remind him who dad is. I'm going to make sure he understands that I can still take him, and uh, he accepted that challenge very quickly, very quickly, which I was a little bit, dis- I was a little bit upset about, um, but once again, I want to say, before I get into the story any further, he never pinned me, <laughs> never once. But what did happen is about 45 seconds or a minute into this wrestling endeavor, um, he rendered my twice surgically repaired back completely useless. He had got me in such a bind that I said, whoa, I'm out of breath. We need to to take a break for a second. Dad needs to catch his breath. And as I did, I mustered all of my strength to make it back to my bedroom. And as the door shut behind me, I might have cried a minute. I'm not going to say I did or didn't, but it might have happened. My back was completely messed up. That child had wore me out, and it didn't take him long at all. But what I couldn't have happened is I couldn't let him or my other sons see me portray any weakness in that moment, right? I stood up, and I walked out of that room like, man, look, the only reason we're stopping is because I wanted to, not because you hurt me. And I went back and pretended like I was okay, which I most certainly certainly was not okay. I did not feel good. I never wanted to do that again. It was a horrible decision to begin with. And that's what I learned from that. And the problem that we face here today is that we portray strength in an effort to hide our weaknesses. And there's sometimes that does not come out of necessity. It comes out of a misunderstanding of weakness and what it is and the purpose in our life. And I'm going to say that again because we're going to talk a lot about it. I want you to make sure you heard me. The weaknesses that exist in your life are there for a reason. They have a purpose. And we're going to look at God's Word today and we're going to see what it has to tell us about strength, about weakness, about weakness. And about how both of these things play themselves out in the life of a believer. So I'm going to go ahead and get you to grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to spend most of our time in in verses 7 through 10. But while you're turning there, uh, I'm going to give you a little background on what's going on here. If you don't have your Bible with you today, then we will put the Scripture up on the screen here in just a moment. Um, What we see going on is that Paul is... uh, in a season where he's having to defend himself against some men in the Corinthian church, they called themselves super apostles, and these super apostles were bragging about the fact that God had given them uh, visions and revelations directly, and that Paul never had any of that. And, and, and Paul, hearing this, is in this letter he begins to reluctantly brag and boast about his uh, well, really his bona fides, his qualifications as an apostle of Jesus. And we see, and we get to chapter 12 and verses one through six, Paul shares a story of being raptured to heaven and given a a revelation directly from God. And if you read this, you'll notice that it looks like he's talking about somebody else, right? He looks like he's saying this happened to someone else. Well, in actuality, this is Paul speaking in the third person about something that was his own experience of being raptured. And you may say, why does he do that? Paul does that because Quite frankly, he's embarrassed about the fact that he's even having to talk about this, much less brag to a bunch of people about it. Matter of fact, in our scripture, it tells us it's been 14 years since it happened, and he never brought it up once. So after Paul has written about his rapture experience and about his revelation that he's received from God, after he's defended all of the reasons that he's called an apostle, we see a shift in the scripture, and Paul begins to change a little bit in the way that he boasts. He says that based on the qualifications of the world, if anyone has reason to boast, it would be me. But that's not what I'm here to do. He says what he's here to do, it's an interesting statement. he says he's here to boast in his weakness, his being Paul. Right? And this brings us to where we're going to land today, which is verses 7-7. Through 10, they're gonna put these on the screen up behind me. And this is what God's word says, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest upon me for the sake of christ then i am content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i'm weak then i'm strong as I started to study this and I've read verse 7, uh, something really immediately struck me and, and I identified with Paul in this is that how quickly we're, we are given over to conceit in our lives. Really, especially when we think of something amazing that's happened to us, right? We, 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 we get taken over by the idea that it, it's awesome and we need to tell, Paul, tell people about it. And, and we see here that Paul knew this. He knew this about himself. He knew that because of the revelation he was given from God that he, needed, uh, he would become puffed up. And conceited about this. Well, how do we know that, Ben? We know that because he says it twice in one verse. He starts off by saying, so to keep me from becoming too conceited. And in the very end of of verse 7, he says the same thing. To keep me from becoming too conceited. Paul knew he was given over to conceit. As I thought about this, I I thought about another uh, story from my life. When I was younger, I I have a younger son. His name is Eli. And uh, I was probably about his age, 11, 12 years old. And um, uh, we would go and visit my grandparents in Louisiana. And my grandfather worked for an oil company. So when we were out there many times, he would take us out to the oil rig sites where his guys were working, and we'd go out there and high-five them and say what's up and bring them to a cooler of cold drinks and just check on the work and make sure everything's going out there. Well, one of my favorite things was when we went out there, my papa would let me drive his truck in the dirt patch that was the oil field. Tons of fun, had a great time. He said, oh, you know, you need to learn how to drive. So that's what we did. I remember one very specific time that my brother, my younger brother, and he and I went out to a job. This is about 20 minutes from my grandparents' house. We did what we did, and we were getting ready to come back, and my papa, that's what we called him, he looked at me and he said, hey, you want to drive on the road? And I was like, yeah, I want to drive on the road. Absolutely. I thought, I've made it now. I've been so excellent at driving in the dirt that my papa was going to let me get out on the road with other people and drive this truck. I was shocked. I was amazed. I was, flo- I was ready to go. So we get in the car, and I will tell you that this trip home, about 20 minutes, but there's only one turn. You go straight one way, and you turn that way, and you're at the house. Sounds easy, right? The problem is, at that turn, there's a stop sign. You know what there's not in the oil, where the oil rig sites are? Stop signs. You know what we had never talked about before? How to navigate said stop sign. So as we're going down the road, I see the stop sign coming and my little 12-year-old brain starts cranking and goes, I can figure this out. I don't need to ask for help at all. I've got this. And I employed the very safe method of one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. (laughs) We're going to do this number and operate it. I got this under control. No problem. I've ridden a bike before. That's how pedals work. That's what you do. Well, car starts coming up the other way. Still don't panic. (laughs) I'm a pro. He wouldn't have let me drive on the street otherwise, I've got this. As we approach the stop sign, I tell my brain says, Ben, foot on brake, foot off gas. Body does foot on brake, foot on gas. Foot on gas much harder than the foot on the brake. And as we begin to peel and squeal through the stop sign, narrowly missing the other vehicle and my grandfather, all the while most loudly talking to Jesus about what's going on. in the truck we come to rest about 150 feet 200 feet past the stop sign in a little ditch my grandfather gets out of the car and switches places with me he gets in the driver's seat and me and my little brother begin instantly to marvel at the awesomeness of what had just occurred in the truck we're just sharing this This is the greatest thing ever and i remember perfectly clearly my grandfather saying this needs to stay in the truck No problem, got it. Having the truck, stay in the truck, no worries. We get home, get out of the truck, mom comes over. Hey, you guys have a great time? Instantly, what was supposed to stay in the truck did not stay in the truck. Came right out of my face. And I, I bragged to her about how awesome what had just happened was, how I felt like a member of the A team trying to evade capture from other people. And we ended up in a ditch, and Papa let me drive on the road, and it was awesome. You see, sometimes we let conceit get the best of us, we let it take over even in the smallest of personal victories, much less like Paul getting raptured to heaven. And this is why Paul tells us that he needed to be humbled because of the experience. In verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the revelation he received from God during his rapture, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. See, Paul here was admitting that he struggled with something that he called the thorn in his flesh. Okay? Now, There's been some discussion over the years, forever probably, since it was written about what he was talking about when he talks about a thorn in his flesh. Some scholars will tell you it's a physical malady, something that physically that he struggled with. That's probably the most popular. Could have been an emotional or even a psychological issue that Paul dealt with. It could have been something spiritual in nature. He does call it a, uh, he he says that it was um, from Satan, right, sent to harass him, a messenger of Satan that was sent to harass him. but ultimately, we don't really know what was wrong with Paul. But what we do know is whatever it was, this suffering, this weakness that Paul's experiencing, that it had a purpose in Paul's life. Right? It had a purpose in Paul's life. One commentary that I read said this. It said, the truth here about the thorn that we should all note is that while the thorn was Satan's work, it was God that allowed it. While it was Satan's work, it was God that allowed it. So as we move forward this morning and we discuss this, I want you guys to begin to think about the weaknesses that exist in your life as necessities. I want you to begin to operate under the idea that while it may be Satan that is working there, that it is God that is quite literally allowing these things to occur in our lives. And as we move to the next few verses, 8 through 10, this is where I think Paul begins to illuminate for us about what weaknesses are and how they should be utilized in our life. So I'm going to give you three thoughts that I think build on one another that are going to help shape what Paul's writing here. We're going to put this on the screen, so if you're a note taker, this is where you're going to write this down, or take your phone out and snap a picture. This is kind of the big idea of the sermon, and it is this. It is our proximity to God gives us a right view of our position in relation to God, and this determines our posture before God. Say that again. Our proximity to God gives us a right view of our position in relation to God, and this determines our posture before God. We see this in twelve eight. He says three times, "I pleaded with the Lord about this, this being the thorn that it should leave me." When I read this voice, it tells me that the Apostle Paul's proximity, his nearness. To the Lord is the reason that he was able to pray in such an intimate way, that he was able to plead with the Lord to take this thing from him. It's the very nature of that prayer. He says, three times I pleaded. This tells us that, God, that Paul's proximity to God was close. And that's why he prayed in such an intimate way. That's why he begged and pleaded. Even though previously Paul would admit to us that the thorn was something that was on purpose that had a purpose in his life apparently this thing was so debilitating so awkward maybe even so embarrassing that he literally begged god to take it away from him imagine all the things that paul had gone through in his life and yet this is the moment that he chooses to beg god for something to stop there's a a level of intimacy here that i want you to understand and i'm going to Talk about it like this. There's many commentaries that I read that connected Paul's threefold prayer here in Corinthians to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So in Mark 14, 36, when Jesus cries out to his Father, says, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. This is when Jesus is literally sweating blood, okay? This is the type of intimacy that we should assume Paul has with God. This is the type of pleading that is going on. Paul's proximity to God, the nearness of his relationship is what created the space for this most vulnerable of moments. So as believers, it's our proximity to God, it's our closeness that creates a relationship that we're going to draw on when we need to make this sort of request before God. We've got to be near to Jesus before we ever make this type of request. Imagine if you didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Or better yet, if you're in here today and you only have a casual relationship, you're never going to be able to make this sort of gut-level, desperate plea that at some point in all of our lives we're going to have to make. And I would argue that even if you were able to make it, you wouldn't be able to process the response God gives you appropriately because you don't have the proximity. You're not near enough to Him to be able to receive the answer that you get. It's like having a boss that you work for, that you're friends with, that you're friendly with. He knows your family. You know his. Y'all talk about this. You may even socialize outside of work. You make a request of this person. Regardless of what the response is, you may not like it, but you receive it well because your relationship says, this person cares for me. If I got the boss that I don't know, that's just some dude, and he tells me no, guess what? I don't receive that well because I don't have the underlying assumption that he cares for me well we're going to see here God's response to Paul in his pleading and what we get to see is that Paul is going to be given a right understanding of his position in relation to God so we're going to look at the 2 Corinthians 12 9 the first part it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible it says but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness you know when I read this that word but really jumped out at me this time. When I read that it started with but, I instantly knew that there wasn't good news that was going to follow this, right? This is God telling Paul no. When he says... When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, it is God saying, no, Paul, I'm not going to take away your thorn. But what I need you to do is I need you to get your eyes up here on me and off of whatever it is you're struggling with. Don't worry about that. Your position is this. Eyes up. You see, God sees Paul's struggle. He sees his weakness. He sees his suffering. And I'm going to tell all of y'all this this morning. He sees yours as well. And he still says, my grace is sufficient. He says, get your eyes on me. Because of our proximity to a holy and gracious God, we are rightly made to see that our position in relation to God is eyes up on Jesus Christ. It's there and only there that we get to experience what Paul writes about, which is the full and perfected power of Jesus. We've got to be have an understanding of what the right position is. And how do I know that Paul received this no from God? In the back half of verse 9, when Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul receives the no, and he immediately adjusts his outlook based on the view of God that he had just been given take your eyes off of what you think you're struggling with and get them on me. That's your proper position in relation to God. And if we don't have a right understanding of who God is and our position of God in our lives, then we're gonna bristle and we're gonna push back against no. You and I, you know one thing I know for sure? God's going to tell us no probably already has and he probably will again and if we don't have a right understanding of who God is what we end up doing is we end up growing anger and angry and bitter because we believe god is withholding something from us or depriving us of something that we deserve or that we're owed when in actuality he's given us the opportunity in our weakness to experience the perfect power of jesus christ position matters when you get the no You want to experience God's perfect power? Do so in your weakness. I don't want anybody to get confused in here, so let's discuss the word weakness just for a minute. You should not understand when I say weakness or when Paul writes weakness that he's talking about your sinful behavior. That's not what he means. The weaknesses in our life can certainly become sinful behavior But what Paul is talking about here is a word that means more want of strength or infirmity. It's the definition. You really should think of it as a disease of the body, soul, or mind that you are unable to produce any amount of strength over. You can't. So if you struggle in here today with depression or anxiety, if you have some physical limitation that you think limits your perceived capacity to serve the Lord, if you suffer from any number of physical, emotional, psychological issues, this is what Paul is talking about here today. It's the acknowledgement of our weakness before God that provides us with the proper position in relation to a holy God, guys. I love this. I learned this the first time as I studied for this. When Paul uses the phrase, power of Christ may rest upon me, that that phrase rest upon me, it's what the Jews would have understood to be tabernacle language, okay? Rest upon me. The Greek word is actually episkano. It's kind of a weird word, right? But what it literally translates to be is to tent upon. So we talk about Christ's power resting on him, we should gather the image of God's tabernacle traveling through the wilderness with his people as they move towards the promised land, right? We see in Exodus 40, 34 through 38, it says this. It says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. God literally lived among his people. This idea or picture of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, this is the way Paul speaks of Christ's power resting on him. Think about that for a minute resting on you, resting on me. In my weakest moments, we don't become more powerful. We are given Christ's power in our weakness, and it's draped over us like a tent. That's, that was unbelievable to me. The fact that the power of the resurrected Christ surrounds me, is tinted upon me. And not because I'm strong, but precisely because I am not. God doesn't give this to the strong. He provides it for us because we know we struggle in our weaknesses. And when we acknowledge or boast in our weaknesses, that's when the God of sufficient grace shows up and tents Christ's power over us. This is why our proximity and our position determines our posture. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 12.10. says this, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. If we remember that our position before a holy God is eyes up, this means that we instantly should be posturing ourselves from a position of weakness. This is a daily endeavor for the, in the life of a believer. It's a daily endeavor. And here's the truth, whether we want to admit it or not, we all have weaknesses. And they show up especially when it pertains to serving or living a life that is honoring to a holy God. I want you to hear me say this this morning, and this is going to be hard to hear, but it's the truth, and I know it in my life. Your best effort is not good enough. Your best effort will never be good enough. But you know what? Praise God that my best effort is not good enough. Praise God that I need the power of Christ to do the work for me right? This posture of weakness that we enter into every day, it shouldn't be some last resort, guys. This isn't a foxhole moment where as your life is crashing down around you, you attempt to admit that you have a weakness. I can promise you something. You bring the weakness with you. I've got that. Rather than allowing the fact that we can't do anything apart from Christ's power sneak up on us or surprise us like we don't know that, Paul tells us that we're to be content with not only our weaknesses, but with any and all insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities that we experience in the service of Christ for the sake of Christ. When he says be content, this means you already know it, you've already acknowledged it, and you've made a peace with it. This is not a surprise. And if it's a surprise to any of you this morning, I apologize that I have to be the one to point out to the fact that we all struggle with weaknesses in our life. I heard someone say, uh, as it pertains to posture one time, um, that it's very difficult for life to bring you to your knees if you're already there. If I posture myself from a position of weakness because I have proximity to God and I understand my right position in relation to a holy God, then posture makes sense. And at the end of this 12.10, Paul says it way better than I ever could. And it's really short and really sweet. It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's posture. It's an understanding of proximity, position, position. And it creates the proper posture for Paul. Now you might be sitting there going, man, that sounds great, Ben, but I have no idea how to get there. It's okay. I don't know that I do a good job of it myself. I can promise you that I don't. It's the whole idea of weakness, right? But what we're going to do together is we're going to talk about how we get there. There's a reason we started with proximity It's because we have to start with our proximity to God. So I'm going to give you four ways that I think that we can pursue a greater proximity to God. And here's why I think it's important that we talk specifically about proximity. Because I believe if we have a nearness to God that is in right standing with it, then position and posture are more able to fall in line. Apart from proximity, we don't get position, we don't get posture. So here's four things. Four ways we can pursue greater proximity with God. The first is this, and they're going to be on the screen. Develop a more intimate prayer life. Here's why. What did we talk about, the very first thing we saw in Paul, right, was the nature of the prayer he gave to God. That pleading with God. The intimate nature of his prayer life told us that his proximity to God was close. Paul writes about this many places in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, he says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The more we commune with God in prayer, the closer our proximity to him will be. Develop a more intimate prayer life. The second thing is commit to studying and learning God's word. Uh, We all know, or if you don't know, I'm going to tell you now, Paul was responsible for writing at least two thirds of the New Testament of the Bible. Paul was also a scholar of the scriptures that God had provided for him prior to him writing them. Paul was committed to learning and studying the word God's word. And for us here today, believers, there's not one thing in your life that's ever going to happen that God's word is not useful for. There's nothing you're going to experience. Nothing's going to happen that you can't go to God's Word and it can't speak into. So if you want a right view of your position in relation to God, if you want to pursue greater proximity to God, then a robust relationship with the very Word that He inspired is a necessity in the life of a believer. The third thing is we maintain a deep devotion to God's church. We maintain a deep devotion to God's church. You know, we've been talking a lot about Paul in the New Testament. Um, he talks about the church as the bride of Christ. He uses this analogy of the bride of Christ. I, it's one of the more beautiful analogies in the Bible to me. Um, this, the, the idea of the, the p- biblical marriage that we enter into is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. Right? And Paul knew that his, mar- his life needed to be marked by a deep devotion to not only Jesus, but to his bride. If we want to be near to Jesus, we have to be connected to his bride. Let me tell you something, fellas. We can be acquaintances, but we can't really be friends if you don't want to have a relationship with me and my bride. If we want to pursue proximity with God, we have to be connected intimately to the local church. We have to be attending. We have to be supporting We have to be fellowshipping. We have to be serving. You have to maintain a deep devotion to God's church. And the last thing is this. We pursue God's purpose for our lives. Paul's proximity to God, that intimate nature of his relationship, was the thing that I believe fueled his ability to go and do what God had called him to do. What Paul was called to do was hard work, guys. As believers, you are going to be called to do hard things. but we're called to pursue it nonetheless. So collectively, we know that as believers, we're called to go therefore and make disciples, right? Baptize, teach. These are the things that we all do as Christ followers. But individually, this plays itself out in a lot different contexts. Maybe you're a coach and a teacher. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you're a welder. Maybe you work in an A chemical factory maybe you work on an oil rig maybe you mow lawns for a living it doesn't matter what it is here's what i know is that god has an ordained purpose for each and every one of you and your job as a believer is to pursue that with everything that you have our pursuit of god's ordained purpose in our lives will increase our proximity to god himself you want to be closer to god you need to be chasing after what god has told you you are supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be doing it In Philippians uh, 3, verses 13 through 14, Paul writes this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We pursue God's purpose for our life. Four things. What are they? Develop a more intimate prayer life. Commit to studying and learning God's word. Maintain a deep devotion to God's church. And pursue God's purpose for your life. You know, as we have moved out of the Thanksgiving holiday and as we see by all of these wonderful decorations, we're into the Advent season. Um... And even with all the struggle and the craziness that uh, this life has brought to bear in 2020 on all of us, I, I, I think we have, still have much to be thankful for as, as the people of God. And I'm going to say something here that I think if you're in the room today and you're a believer, then you need to add your weaknesses to the list of things that you're thankful for. Why? Well, because we should be grateful for the things in our life that expose us to God's perfected power. And Paul tells us that's our weakness. So not only should we acknowledge them, we should be thankful and grateful to God. We should boast, as Paul says, in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest like a tent upon his people. So if you're a believer in here today, that's for you. Be thankful. If you're in the room today and you're not a believer, And here's what I would tell you. The only way to have the correct position and the correct posture is to first have proximity to God. Can't go anywhere without nearness to God. And nearness to God is created first and foremost by surrendering your life to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The free gift of salvation. Can I tell you this? The the biggest picture of power perfected in in weakness was Jesus Christ on the cross. God's power was made perfect in the weakness of Christ climbing on the cross for you and for me. And if you're here today, I say it again, you brought the weakness with you. I know the guy who can give you the perfect power. Don't leave here the same way you came in. Your weakness has a purpose, and God wants to show you what that is. It's in his power. So if you're here today and Jesus is not your Lord, if you do not know him, I beg of you. We would love the opportunity to talk with you about that remember that your proximity to god is going to tell you what your position in relation to god is and this is going to determine what your posture before a holy god is today it has been an honor to be able to stand up here with you My, the lord has beat me over the head with this sermon for a couple of weeks now And I realize it's not maybe the most Christmassy thing in the world, but here's what I would tell you as we move into the season of Advent where we recognize that Jesus, God, did the very weakest thing he could, which was become human. We should be thankful for the weakness that exists in us because now we get to experience the perfect power that comes from him coming to earth. Our staff is going to be down front here. Believer, if you need to come down here and and admit to God that you have got the position out of line, we're here to pray with you. If you need to come and reorient your posture before a holy God and weakness, this altar is always going to be open. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to know what that looks like, we will be here to talk with you. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to stand and we're going to to worship. And once again, it has been my great honor to be with you guys here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you do, God. I'm thankful that even in our weakest of moments, Lord, you provide the perfect power that tents us, Lord, that you are powerful where we cannot be, God. So we pray today that we will lean into that power, God. And Father, if there are those here that do not know you, God, my desperate plea to you, God, is that, that you would capture their heart, that you would rescue them from their life of being separated from you, and you would bring them into your marvelous light. Father God, I am grateful for my weakness because I get to experience your power, Lord. May we all experience that as we move into this next season. Father God, pray blessings over your church. I pray blessings over your people, and I pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and holy name.